0: You talk, we listen. Talkbacks on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader.
1: Good evening to you. Welcome to the talk shop here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Naledi Mulew. I'm with you till nine o'clock. That's when Karan Key will take over with Health Matters. We have uh, quite a few really interesting discussions that we'll get up to in the time that we have together. In our talk back, I'll chat to Dr. Alan Cliff, who's a senior lecturer in higher education at uh, UCT's Center for Innovation uh, in Learning and Teaching. We're talking education, obviously, but um, something that I think a lot of South Africans understand, a lot of uh, young people who matriculate in South Africa and qualify on paper to study further are mostly just not ready to deal with the rigors of university education. So we'll find out what the data really is. How many of these students are just not university ready? And we can't spend too much time blaming basic education because we also need to start finding solutions. So what are some of those solutions? Feel free to send an SMS to the number 34701. Good news as well, our SMSs were two rand um, for each that you sent. Now uh, they're charged only at one rand. So I think that should be uh, incentive enough to uh, motivate you to then call in or, or send us your SMSs. 34701, oh, um, if you'd like to give us a call, the number is zero eight nine one one zero four two zero seven. After the discussion with Dr. Cliff, I'll then chat to Tembiso Tembu, who's the founding director of the Her Rights Initiative. Uh, looking at various reports of forced sterilization that have come up in the news this year. So we look at this um this this human right violation and we're asking is there a law that recognizes and addresses such cases and why are we seeing uh such infringements of, of, of human of, of, of women's rights? three four seven oh one to send your SMSs. After eight o'clock, a word that um you, we hear too often in South Africa the word coconut. We understand what, who the coconut really is in South Africa and what their role is 21 years into democracy. I'll chat to Panashe Chigumazi, who's, um, Vitz uh, Ruth First uh, Fellow at Vitz University. Um, Panashe spoke yesterday at the Vitz Ruth First Memorial Lecture that took place uh, and talked a bit about, um, What the mindset of South African coconuts really is, and I say that with inverted commas when I say coconuts, Um, what is the mindset of 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 South African coconuts? Where do they belong Uh, in the context of where we are as a country and how we relate to each other um, as people of different races? 34701 to send your SMSs. All that and more coming up on the talk shop. Feel free to tweet me as well. The handle is at Naledi Moleo. Also tweet at SAFM Radio. The Lady Moleo on SAFM. You're on the talk shop. Send your SMS to 34701. So, uh, most of the young people who matriculate in South Africa and qualify on paper to apply uh, to study further simply aren't ready for the rigors of university education. And this is not a sweeping generalization. It's proved... Uh, By the data collected over five years as part of the country's national benchmark test in academic literacy, I'm joined on the line by Dr. Alan Cliff, Senior Lecturer in Higher Education at uh, UCT Centre for Innovation and Learning and Teaching. Doctor, good evening. Welcome to the talk shop. Uh,
0: hello lady and good evening to your listeners
1: so good to have you with us um, I think maybe let's Thanks. let's uh, go for, take a few steps back look at the national benchmark test in academic literacy um, what it is that the that the benchmark test aims to to really achieve and it's not necessarily a, a replacement for the matric exams correct
0: mm. that's yeah that's correct it is definitely not a replacement for the school leaving examination Uh, the data we've collected is meant to be complementary to uh, the results of students on the school leaving exam
1: Right, and now let's look at the the findings from last year, just so we can understand where we actually sit
0: Mm -hmm. Um, What we've been looking at over, well, five plus years now is, is an assessment of what, as you mentioned earlier in the program, an assessment of students' academic literacy, which in effect is a look at the extent to which students are going to cope with the language of instruction demands that they will face in higher education, across any disciplinary context for which they might register. Mm. So, what we're talking about here is the the the, the reasoning, writing, uh, thinking, etc. demands that will be placed on students given a particular medium of instruction, and the extent to which those students could be said to cope. Right. What, we're, what we're trying to uh, assess is the, is the levels of proficiency mm-hmm. and most importantly, and that's certainly the point of my article, is make some kind of judgment about what higher education needs to do to support and uh, enable people coming, high, uh, students coming to higher education to cope with the kinds of demands they
1: will face. Um, I think obviously we need to then understand how many students it is we're talking about. If you've got, um, you know, what is it, 700,000 students that are on paper ready for university, how many of those really aren't?
0: Yeah, it's it's seventy thousand. The sample that we that we draw on
1: um,
0: is is and just to be clear, this is an applicant pool. So 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 not not obviously not all school leavers because not all school leavers want to access higher education. But roughly, if one looks at the ballpark figures, um, roughly one third of that seventy thousand could be said to be ready in, in in to cope with the demand they will face. So that means that about two thirds of students looking to enter higher education will need some form of extended or uh, supported curriculum, and uh, and uh, and that means that we as a higher education sector need to be able to address some of those needs. We can't simply say uh, students are underprepared and they should come into conventional curriculum and then just either sink or swim. What we're saying is there's good data available now that can enable us to do something to address those 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 issues that of underpreparedness.
1: Yeah, the argument is always going to be that um, preparing students for tertiary education is the job of basic education. Um, mm-hmm. But we're obviously failing. If those are the results, we're obviously failing to do that. Um, and and then you're going to hear comments like why is it higher education's responsibility to get those students ready mm.
0: okay yes they, well let me start with your second comment mm. it's in my view it's everybody's responsibility to make sure that students uh, are ready to cope with higher education and eventually graduate in the numbers that we need for national development so it's not about one person or one group or sector or another. It's, it's, everybody's, it's everybody's issue. Uh, yes, school, the, the school sector, the secretary and, and the primary school sector are critical in developing and, and enabling students to be ready to cope with demands. But we know that um, at this stage, there are lots of students who are not ready um, for various reasons, Schools are not coping, schools are not managing to meet the kinds of demands that students will, will, will need to address. And so when they arrive in higher education, uh, the point of my article is, is we, we cannot simply say these people don't belong in higher education. As it is, we have a small, small enough number of people participating in the sector mm. and we need, we need these people to participate from a, from a national, economic, uh, social, etc. development perspective. So we can't simply say, um, you yeah, know, we, can, we can't simply say it's somebody else's problem to deal with. We're faced on a daily basis, on an annual basis, with students who are not coping for reasons that do not necessarily rate, relate directly to the curriculum that they will be faced with. It's more, to, it's more general than that in terms of, of these
1: notions of literacy. Yeah. Um, a bit of a contradiction that I, I, I think maybe you should clarify. Um, on air with us in the article not necessarily a contradiction but a contradiction in the results that we're seeing Um, the 2014 national benchmark uh, results reveal that 33% of those applicants are ready to to cope with higher learning, that's fine, that's understandable but then you highlight that the proportion of applicants that um, want to enter uh, health sciences and engineering or natural sciences um, is a lot higher than 33% and this is you, these are usually applicants that are, are doing quite well in their studies and should be readier than most to deal with higher education.
0: Yeah, they, they, they typically are the sort of uh, top of the of the pile in terms of students student results from from the school leaving examination. The figure we, uh, that I mentioned in the article is that they they approach around forty percent in terms of the readiness to cope with this, with academic literacy demands, but. Uh, so, so so the thirty three percent is the general is the general pool and the forty percent is is more specifically directed at at the health sciences the engineering and the natural sciences
1: mm-hmm.
0: um yes, I suppose the data is telling us that even though many of those students are also not not coping or not ready to cope with the demands that face but what we i suppose what the, the the real reason for presenting that kind of data is to is to tell us that we we can't necessarily take a generic sort of one size fits all approach to addressing the problems we need to look at at data across a range of disciplinary contexts because that that may indicate to us that we need different forms of provision and support according to the kinds of, of or according to the kinds of applicants we have and also according to the programs for which they're registered to study
1: yeah. Uh, forgive me if I sound a bit bleak in this question, but how do these results perhaps compare to previous years and matriculants that are coming out um, in, in previous years, before 2014? Are we on a sinking ship? Are things getting worse?
0: No. Uh, the, the data is fairly stable in terms of these. These are patterns that have repeated themselves over quite a number of years. Now, this this data that was mentioned in the article is, mm. is over a period of five years, Um, we think the value of the data is telling us that it is at least telling us that the the, the situation is not as you put it getting worse or becoming bleaker Uh, it's giving us a realistic slice or snapshot of what's happening in the the school sector in terms of applicants and we need to take I suppose, take this seriously. I think I'm not suggesting people are not taking the data seriously, but we need to look at it quite carefully and say, what is this telling us about the the extent to which we want to be supporting these learners when they reach the higher education uh, curriculum or curricula they will, they will have registered for?
1: All right. Well, I'm going to open up the lines and perhaps hear a few sure. suggestions as to um, how our listener thinks that Uh, how your learning institutions should be assisting to get these students ready uh, for university 34701 to send your sms's give us a call on 0891
0: chat, converse, rant rave, whatever you call it do it on the talk shop only
1: on SAFM you're on the Talk Shop. My name is Naledi Molelo. Send your SMSs to the number 34701. Your SMSs are charged at one rand. Uh, we're talking about how we get our matriculants ready for university, what are your suggestions? What role um, do you think higher learning, really higher education, in the sector, higher education, really does have to play in getting the students ready? Three four seven oh one, or give me a call. The number is 0891104207. Still chatting to Dr. Alan Cliff, uh, senior lecturer in higher education at UCT's Centre for Innovation in Learning and Teaching. Uh, before we start getting into some of the recommendations that you have, Doctor, uh, maybe mm-hmm. w- what we should do is actually define academic readiness so that we're, we're able to understand where our students really are struggling.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the, the the work we're doing is specifically related to what we call, in this case, academic literacy. We're looking at uh, the extent to which... Um, <laughs> What, what 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 curriculum is offering that is the courses and the subjects that students take at higher education the extent to which they are their, their achievement in those content related areas is also affected by more process orientated uh, uh, elements like for example their ability to reason in the language their their ability to use um, the particular language of instruction uh, their 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 um, their extent, the extent to which they are familiar with issues like making academic arguments um looking at the sorts of evidence that is used in higher education to support claims and that sort of thing mm. so that's the that's the area that we are most interested in. so it's not in this particular case a directly content orientated assessment assessment it's an it is an assessment of the ability to use those kinds of skills in particular disciplinary areas
1: right and Maybe talk us through some of the recommendations that you have as to what universities Mm -hmm. uh, can do to help. Because the concern here uh, could be that when we talk about getting students ready for varsity, are we necessarily saying that we should water down the content so that students are able to comprehend? um, What is it exactly that we're talking about?
0: Mm. Now, I, I think we, we already have very good models in place in higher education in this country in the form of things like, for example, extended curricula and so on, which very clearly tell us we're not talking about so-called watering down the curricula. We're saying much more, let's augment um, existing curricula with uh, literacy teaching, with teaching around um, what students will need in, in order to be able to cope with the Lots of that, there are plenty of examples of of those models in existence across the whole sector. So Mm -hmm. we've made, I think, a tremendous amount of progress already. I think what we're just saying through this kind of data is that the data for us forms a kind of, if you like, a language of description and engagement. In other words, it enables us to look seriously about at the kinds of things that we need to be building into curriculum in addition to content to enable students to be successful. I right. want to make one other uh, comment here, and that is that we, in no way are we saying that curriculum in higher education is necessarily inadequate. We're simply saying that business as usual over is, 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 is clearly uh, not going to be sufficient in many cases, i.e., for example, in the two-thirds of people who are not yet ready to cope conventional curriculum will be fine for the one third of students ready to cope when they arrive in higher education but the the other two thirds is going to be some kind of additional support uh, required some form of extended provision we know already that plenty of students are not getting through in a minimum three years in a basic three year degree anyway we might as well face that reality square on and many many us do, and we need to do something. I suppose more about it. And what we're saying, particularly, is that the the more about it should be uh, contextual, or context-based. In other words, the kind of interventions that we offer should be based in the context of particular disciplines, not some kind of add-on uh, um, provision. Because that that is not necessarily going to be successful. Students need to be able to learn to to develop their thinking and their reasoning and their literacies in the context of particular disciplines, not mm. just in some kind of generic way.
1: And is that what UCT is doing for those students that fall within that two-thirds category?
0: Yeah, Certainly yeah, there are plenty of examples of that at the University of Cape Town, but there are plenty of other very good examples around the whole sector at, at many other higher education institutions in the country. It's not specific to UCT Of national debate and plenty of considerations around this, including, as some of your listeners may know, uh, considerations of making a four year degree program a kind of standard uh, curriculum instead of the three year program. So, this is not a debate that is particular or peculiar to UCT, it's Mm. it's a national debate.
1: Mm. And uh, one of the concerns, obviously, is the costs associated with. Um, either extending degrees to become four year degrees mm. or those programs that are then in place to get those students um, to mm. cope with in varsity. Are they, sh- should there be perhaps more considerations around the costs associated with such programs?
0: Yeah. Look, there, there have been quite careful considerations of the cost implications of, extend, of an extended uh, degree program and of. For example, making the, the the basic three-year degree program into a four-year degree program. Uh, my colleague Ian Scott and others have worked on this kind of uh, this kind of modelling, and they have looked at the financial implications of these of these uh, different provisions. But I mean, I, I would put it to to you, as the listeners. There's a, there, there, what is the cost of us not doing something? What mm. is the cost of us not being successful in addressing some of the needs of school leavers accessing higher education? We know already de facto many students are not finishing in three years, so that's already a cost both to the sector and also to individual students and their parents and the like. So we might as well again face that reality and say what what can we do. That is that is that is going to increase the likelihood that students will be able to complete their degrees in minimum time.
1: Yeah, uh, talk us through the work of the Centre for Innovation in Learning and Teaching at UCT. Perhaps programmes yeah. that you are working on in that regard.
0: Okay, we we there are there are three divisions in the centre. One one of which is <clears throat> is academic staff development as a focus area, and the main purpose of that particular area is looking at the extent to which we can support academics in their disciplinary teaching, in developing programs, uh, curriculum, uh, assessment uh, support or assessment interventions and the like that will enable enable students to be more successful. So our focus is on academics and their teaching and learning challenges which they face. The other components of the work in the centre have to do much more with the use of, of learning technology and online provision and blended learning and the like uh, again, with the staff development focus, but with the, uh, with the with the key focus there on 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 what can we do in terms of supporting academics in their developing these kinds of uh, learning interventions, and the key focus there is on pedagogy we we think the the, the, the teaching element the pedagogical element must come first technology flows from that, yeah. and then the third bit of our work has to do with curriculum development and curriculum design in both face-to-face type interventions and in terms of online and blended provision.
1: Would it be a big ask to suggest that the Centre for Innovation and Learning and Teaching perhaps uh, then start to focus on students that would be coming into UCT in the next uh, three, four, five years in the various uh, schools and high schools that they are in already to start getting them ready right from the beginning?
0: Um, I think that's that's work that's already in place. Mm. Um, there, there are many both student development oriented interventions and staff facing interventions and support work around. So so it wouldn't be new work, it would be work that would be continuing and it's not by the way work only done by the Centre for Innovation and Learning and Teaching, it's work that's done by our academic development programme, it's work that's done in the faculties uh, work that's done across the, across a range of disciplinary contexts, and also from the centre within within something which is called the Centre for Higher Education Development, within which SILT is
1: located. Yeah, uh, moving beyond the educational blame game in South Africa, that article there by Dr. Alan Cliff. How do we take a look at the article?
0: Oh, it's, on the, 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 it's an online article in a, in a space called The Conversation. That is the conversation, one word, dot com. Uh, it can be seen there, um, and it, is, it can be sent from there. People can, re- can tweet it, can retweet it. Can, it's open access uh, as, a, as an article.
1: All right, great. So get on the Internet, take a look at theconversation.com. Dr. Alan Cliff is a senior lecturer in higher education at UCT Center for Innovation in Learning and Teaching. Doctor, thank you so much for your time.
0: It's a pleasure. Thank you.